And so now it is my exquisite pleasure, my delight, to introduce someone who I know is walking the path, who is a living example of what it is to be in service, who for her every action, her every mannerism, and her every showing up simply is a lighthouse and beacon of truth. Welcome to Reverend Catherine McLeod. It's a pretty high standard I have to live up to. Every action. I'm going to uh, start by having us remember the wonderful song that Reverend Patrick always starts with. A sense that in this room there really is enough love for all the world. That truly, when we're together, what attracts us to this service and this center is that sense and that energy and that vibration that truly is love, that leaves us feeling that we really are enough and that we can shine our light and bring our love to the world. I'd like to start with a breathing meditation by Thich Nhat Hanh, a Buddhist Vietnamese monk. It's a very simple breathing meditation. It has two words on each line. The first word is to breathe in. And it starts within. The second word is to breathe out. So I'm going to kind of ins- lead you in the breathing part for the first time through it. It's very simple. And the, the second and third time, you're on your own. So be comfortable. You might find it nice to put your feet on the floor and have your back kind of straight. But make yourself comfortable. So breathe in, in. Breathe out, out. Deep, breathe in. Slow, breathe out. Calm, breathe in. Peace, breathe out. Smile, breathe in. Release, breathe out. Present moment, breathe in. Wonderful moment. Breathe out. So here we go. In. Out. Deep. Slow. Calm. Peace. Smile. Release. Present moment. Wonderful moment. Last time. Breathe in. Out. Deep. Slow. Calm, peace, smile, release, present moment, wonderful moment. 
And so as we breathe, we remember that we don't know how that works. We don't consciously, usually breathe ourselves. And when we feel our heartbeat, we remember that there is this brilliance within us that beats our heart. That everything is created with this fabulous design. This one life that is our life is the divine life. That life is planted in the center of each one of us. And so as I breathe and my heart beats and I open my heart to this moment, I know that spirit truly is the power, the beauty, the intelligence, the kindness and the unconditional love that flows through all of life and flows through me now. I claim that, I breathe it in, I breathe it out. And I invite you to claim that and know that and realize that with me now as together we say, and so it is. Thank you, wonderful Brown. Serendipity is something that I learned about when I started coming to this center. And serendipity happened for me this morning. The title of my talk is Ultimate Lesson, and it comes from Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She wrote this, we all have to, what we all have to learn, it's our ultimate lesson. We all have to learn unconditional love, which includes all others, but also ourselves. So Andrew started the morning with that. It wasn't a plan, it just was. And I was feeling a little nervous and queasy before I started the first talk this morning, and that was just such a wonderful affirmation. What I find about this teaching is that the world and the universe and my life, and I know your life too, is filled with these wonderful little messages that come our way through, out of the blue, serendipity, whatever it is, if we're awake, and let ourselves receive them as a gift. I do believe that either nothing is a miracle in this life or everything is a miracle. And the more I walk this journey of life, the more I truly believe that everything is a miracle. I got this little miracle <clears throat> email lately from my friend. She was in Calgary with her husband, and on their way home, they stopped at Leduc, and they stopped at a restaurant. You know that white spot that sits right close to the highway? She's uh, probably about my age, maybe a little bit younger. She's starting to wear glasses, and she has been buying them, and she just got a new prescription, so she's now trying to wear them, she said, but she left them on the table in the restaurant. Her and her husband got all the way back to the Anthony Hende in Edmonton. And if you've been on the Anthony Hende these last two years, you know it's kind of a challenge. The, the, the lanes kind of come and go, and you never really know where you're really going to be at. <laughs> and her husband was driving, and she remembered, and he needed to turn around. And she said, he didn't handle it well. 
He couldn't find a spot to get turned around. And she said he just scolded her. And he was giving her such a hard time, she said, she could hardly take it. He was just a classic grouch. And she said, you know, the further we got, the closer we got to Leduc, the worse he got. When they stopped, she said, I just hurried in to get out of that car. And he powered down the window and he yelled out at her, while you're there, you might as well get my hat and my credit card. <laughs> And then she said, it's National Mental Health Awareness Month. <laughs> Hug those grouches in your life. <laughs> I have been in a long-term relationship with my husband for over 40 years. And I'm always interested in relationship and what makes it work. And when ours isn't working to the standard that I believe it should be, I often start reading and wondering what it is I need to be more aware of in my own life. Because I'm here, I try to focus my attention on my life rather than fixing him. It kind of goes with this teaching. And uh, the person I really like is Dr. John Gottman. He's done a lot of work research. He's got a big research team at a university, and he's the guy that hooks people up to electrodes, and when they sit together and talk to each other, he can pretty much predict <clears throat> whether they're compatible and whether that relationship is going to work. And certainly they have found that things like respect are very key to making a, a, a relationship work, a marriage work. That when we help each other in those times when one of us is stressed and overwhelmed, it does more for our relationship than a two-week vacation to a tropical country. And that when the male in the relationship or the dominant person in the relationship, which in his study usually was the man, that when the man shares power and shares the work of all things, it really does strengthen the relationship. So decision-making. My husband and I, well, he did the renovation, but I wanted to have equal say on what colors we used and what we did. And, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot in a relationship when you're trying to build something together and you have different opinions and trying to come up with a brand-new opinion uh, together usually slows down the construction. I can vouch for that. <laughs> But what Dr. Gottman said, yes, all these things, yes, they're very important in a relationship. But the key thing that made relationships work over the course of 14 years, they did a study of 14, for 14 years of 650 couples that they followed. The key thing is that your crazy button does not trigger my crazy button. We all have a crazy button. But if you act out your crazy button and I can stay calm, respectful, and just be the observer and not get my button activated, that's really the secret of a long-term relationship because we all have a crazy button. I know that in our relationship... I sometimes think that I would be flying along very well in this teaching and in my life if my partner would just behave. <laughs> and then my life would be smooth as silk. 
at a, well, there was a point in my life when it was when my kids, if my kids would just get their life on track, I could be happy. I'm really a fan of Jerry and Esther Hicks. And she really talks about this as a vibration, that we can have this wonderful vibration where we envision what we want our life to be. We feel ourselves as already in that place and that it actually changes the signals that we give out and who we attract. But if we lose our vibration because we get our crazy button pushed, we drop down so that we are a perfect match for each other and we can really activate each other's crazy button. I was reading this story about a young man who is studying to be a monk. He started off kind of traveling the world and looking at the world's religions and trying to choose the, the, the most evolved teaching. He wanted to find a real sense of enlightenment or realization about the purpose of life and his purpose in life. And he was a spiritual person, a very spiritual being. And he went to India at one point and he studied with a very well-known and very well-respected monk. He was in his practice a year or so. He was finding it difficult because the monk would give him practices and he would just get them perfected and the monk would just arbitrarily change a word or just arbitrarily change the whole thing and do something that was completely opposite from what he had been doing. It drove him crazy. And he was confrontational, and he just felt it wasn't working. The monk said to him, I know what you need to do. I want you to go out into the forest, dig a deep hole, and meditate in silence. Take an oath of silence. You will come to that place of deep enlightenment and realization, and you will know it. You will feel it, and you will be aware of it. We'll bring you food and water while you do that. Years went by. The young man truly did come to a place where he knew Everything in this universe is one and that he is connected to it and he felt it in every cell of his being. His mind was cool and calm and clear like a polished mirror and he felt his deep sense of joy just to be alive. A young woman was walking through the forest, that forest, it was dark and she didn't see the hole and she fell on him and he leapt up furious, swearing, angry, and said, I have spent years of my life studying. I came to a place of pure enlightenment, knowing that I am the thing itself, and you have now ruined it. <laughs> I felt like that. <clears throat> have you felt like that? Everything in my life is zooming along. I feel so wise, and you keep telling me I am like Carmian just did in my introduction, and then I make a crazy fool of myself because you do something. I won't name my husband, but I would say he's, you know, he's probably my classic. <laughs> and, you know, here I am, and I feel like I'm back at the beginning. But what I find is, through spiritual practice, through picking up that book again and reading and remembering I finally start to kind of expand my ability to hold this great vibration of peace and joy and connection with life itself. Not perfectly, but better. Better than I have. I have a tool, and I think that no matter what tool appeals to you, whether it's meditation every morning, 
whether it's reading, whether it's writing, if we focus and center ourselves on starting our day with a practice, on breathing when we start to feel ourselves triggered, it expands our capacity to be unconditionally loving and to be respectful unconditionally. Rumi says this, if you are irritated by every little rub, how will you get polished? Pema Chodron says this, she's a Buddhist monk. She has a monastery in Eastern Canada and she says, she's a wonderful writer. She says, the best time to work on your anger issue is when you're getting angry. It's also the hardest time. We've all come to the right place. We're all in God's classroom. Now, the only thing left for us to do, my dear, is to stop throwing spitballs for a while. That's what Hafez said, and he wrote it in 1325. So I don't think we've changed very much. I am a big Rumi fan, and he writes this. There's one thing in this world which we must, ne- which we, which we must never forget. If you were to forget every single thing but not this then there would be no cause to worry. But if you performed every single thing, a hundred things, but you forgot that one thing, then you would have done nothing. It's just like as if a king sent you to the country to carry out a specific task. You perform a hundred other tasks, but you have not performed this one task for which you've been sent. It is as if you've performed nothing. I was curious when I read that. What's the one task? So all the great religions say this, that there is something holy, incomprehensible, and sacred, and that we can, with diligence, touch, connect ourselves with that presence, and have the experience directly and that the quest of our life really is to connect with that reality. That's the purpose of life, according to all the great religions. They also say there are two great principles, and one is internal spirituality, our meditation, our spiritual practice, communion with the divine feeling that presence and touching that reality. We know it when we feel in complete alignment. We feel whole. We feel our perfection. We feel free. But the other is external spirituality, and that's the road test. That's spiritual community. That's dissolving our sense of separation from each other. That's knowing that the divine is within me and the divine is within you and that there's one life and that it is, it is that life and that we are all in that spiritual place and space. It's all God. And from that place, we experience love and respect and forgiving and compassion and a generous spirit towards each other. I think understanding that there's no separation 
that we are one with all that is, that we are made of the thing itself, that that thing itself is always within us, and it is in every person, and it is in all life, is a hard concept to understand, for me at least. It's, I think I've got it, and then I, I sort of struggle with it. So Rabbi Shapiro said this, to kind of help us. He said, he was walking to the house of learning one morning, and it had been raining all night, and the children were all out playing in the mud, and they were making sandcastle-y sort of things. They were making houses, and they were making people, they were making birds, and they were making horses, and they were making chickens, and they were talking to each other, and they were creating a whole story about this village that they had created together. They gave the people personalities, and they acted it all out. And he said, that's what it is. It's all mud. It's all the substance of creation. It is all the building blocks of life with its energy and its particles and its atoms spinning and the space between them. It's all mud. We are here this long. No, even less, let's face it, not even that long in the space of time are we not. But we imagine what it is we want to have in our life, this image, and then we start to build it in our life. Like the children making houses and people, we talk to each other and together we create the forms of our lives. Our thoughts create it first. Our imaginations create it first. We image it in our mind and then we invent it and create it. And we can do that consciously or we can do that unconsciously. It's our choice. The Buddha says, be awake to the present moment. So if in the present moment I am awake, I remember who I am and whose I am. And I remember who you are. And I create a relationship. I create a partnership. I co-create with you with equality and respect and forgiveness and generosity. That's how it is. It's all mud. M-U-D. We are magicians using divinity to create our life. And if we get it a little wrong, we've just spelled it backwards. (laughs) We are not using our divinity to create our lives. We are just, you know, letting it be in the law of averages, random. Or we are creating what we don't want And if you're not like me, but then I like to blame somebody else for putting it there. (laughs) This also kind of helped me. It's as if we have a favorite blue shirt. And I realize as I'm walking around, I'm not wearing my blue shirt, and I wish I was. And someone comes up and says, I love your shirt such a beautiful blue color and you look down and you realize you're wearing your blue shirt and you just instantly feel happy. We are the divine. It's all God. It's all the mud. It's, we're made of it. We can't be separate for it, from it and we're always wearing it. It's who we are and whose we are. That's how it is. We are the magicians creating our life on this little short journey that we're taking together. We can make it a fabulous life. We can make it a hero's life. 
But we can certainly make it a grouchy life if we choose that. Are you paying attention to what's happening at Occupy Wall Street? There's many people who believe that we have been holding the consciousness for our, our world to evolve. To evolve to a place where we really understand and live as if we are one and that we are all the divine. There's a group of people who really believe that our whole world needs to be transformed so that all of us have a good quality of life where there is food for everyone, where there's clean water, where the air is clean, where people have work, where people have homes. We know through research that we have enough food on this planet to feed everyone. We have enough water to give everyone, and we have enough land for everyone. We have enough money for everyone, and that there's something not right about 1% of us controlling 99% and having 99% of all those things that people really need. It's all mud. It's all our own image, imagination, and vision. And this group of, I think, very young and vibrant people who are in touch with Twitter and uh, they're blogging and they're Googling and they're connecting themselves around the world, that they've got a big vision for what they want to create. And the interesting thing is, on Wall Street, it's leaderless. They want to do this in, with peace. They're not allowed to use a megaphone and so one person gets up and speaks and way back there, you repeat it to the people behind you, and they repeat it to the people behind them, and there's four lines, they say, of repeating. I give a line, way back there repeats it, and so that's how they're giving their speeches. They are co-creating the image of the future that they want, and what they're talking about they want is they want community. They want health care. They want just the simple things like their children to be educated, they want work. And they believe that if they image it in their mind and if they talk about it together, that a leadership will emerge and a bigger idea will become clearer. But in the meantime, they're simply in the gap and waiting and talking to each other and dreaming and remembering that they have the power to create the future. There's a fellow by the name of Bo Lozoff who's been working in, with prisoners in, in prisons, and he and his wife Sita have created this very inclusive spirituality that looks at the Vedic scriptures, at Christianity, at Buddhism, at, just at many, many things. And they are teaching people that they have created and can create their life experience. And that regardless of who triggered their anger, that they have the power to take their life back and take control of their life back. They are reaching out to, I think they send their information to something like 40,000 people. The Dalai Lama wrote the intro for Bo Lozoff's last couple of books, and they've been giving, given awards at the Noetic Sciences Institute and the Chicago Seminary, and he's been given an honorary law degree from a big university in the States. But he's very well known I did never heard of him before until I read his, some of his stuff. And, but he says that the power he's found in this teaching really is that we break it down to one day, a 16-hour day, and that we just have 16 hours to create the life experience that we want, and that we need to start our day 
with having a big world view. So kind of that heaven on earth, what would that be? A world that works for everyone, I think is what we say on our website. That's a big world view. That says that, you know, I don't want to have 1% if you have nothing. If I have it all, I don't, I don't want to do that. If we're the divine, me and you, and we're all made of that magical divinity stuff, then we need to transform how we're doing this. We have this much time to live this wonderful life that we have. So we need a big worldview and we need art to know what our own values are. So values are things like love and respect and forgiveness and compassion, generosity, equity, equality, freedom. And then in our day, we hold that big vision and we hold our values and we line up our life to fit them. We walk the talk. We live the message. We are the thing itself. We bring that unconditional positive regard to all others and to ourselves as well. And we create a life that we can feel is in alignment with our vision and our values. One day, daily decisions and actions that line up. Here, we did a little co-creation workshop with Dr. Kathy Hearn. She's the head of the United Center for Spiritual Living, a wonderful facilitator. She helped us look at those places where our buttons get pushed. She helped us look at a vision, a bigger vision for what we want to create here at this center of where we want to go and how we want to be and who we want to be and how we will be together in this, recognizing that we all have our crazy buttons. And when you push my crazy button, I want to feel that I'm in a safe place where I'm not triggering you and that someone in our group is awake and aware. I like this. It says, it seems so far away that that divine peace sometimes, but it's within us all the time. And so be my friend, my teacher. Show me when I forget. That's the energy that we want here in our classes, in our conversations, in our journey together as a spiritual community. We want to commune with the divine ourselves expand our ability to not be triggered, to be the one sometimes that is triggered, trusting that you will be my friend and remind me of who I am. And the times when you're triggered, that I am able to keep my heart open, to be caring and compassionate and remind you of who you are. I'm going to end with this Rumi poem entitled A Moment of Happiness. A moment of happiness, you and I sitting on the veranda, apparently two, but one in soul, you and I. We feel the flowing water of life here, you and I with the garden's beauty and the birds singing. The stars will be watching us, and we will show them what it is to be a thin crescent moon. You and I, unselfed, will be together indifferent to idle speculation. The parrots of heaven will be cracking sugar. 
As we laugh together, you and I, in one form upon this earth and in another form in a timeless sweet land. The spiritual state is this. When my heart opens and your heart opens, we do not experience different things. Our personalities and our circumstances are left behind, and we experience the one great compassion that has always existed and always will. And when your mind clears and my mind clears, we don't see things different. We see creation in all its sparkling beauty, its sacred essence. We touch the core of being that connects and enlivens all beings equally. Could it be that we're just here to build a sturdy vessel to carry the love? Could it be that we're just here to build a sturdy vessel to be the love? I know that the divine within me wakes up and becomes present when I'm here with you and that I always feel our divinity when we're together. Namaste.